So Acts 11. You know, with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back on our life and recognize some moments that were critical for us in our development, in our maturity. Kind of creates a long view. We gain perspective. We can evaluate some events as more important than others. Uh, We do that as people, as individuals, uh, maybe when we recognize the birth of a child or or some hardship that, that shaped us. Such is also the case for a church. Now, having been a part of CCC for over 30 years, uh, you can look back and you can say, well, that trial, that event, you know, shaped us. And that was pivotal for us. For instance, I would say, uh, of course, everybody might have their own perspective on it, but I would say that our buying of this property, building the facility was a key moment for CCC, not because of the building itself, but for the act of faith that it was on behalf of the church body. I thought it was, it was a key moment for our fellowship. Or our efforts, for instance, in the Advent conspiracies and, and with Guatemala, it's helped uh, push CCC to be more mission-minded, more of an outward church. Or, for instance, in our early years where it seems like there were a, a couple legalistic factions that created some skirmishes that, that forced us to choose not a protective egocentric culture, but one that was marked by grace and and good spiritual health. So we look back on these opportunities, we see God working, it's an opportunity for us to thank him, to remember his goodness, remember those lessons, and know that God was active in the victories and in the messes, in the conflict. So when Luke writes the book of Acts, he has the benefit of looking back on the events in the early church, commenting on that, of, of, of creating a historical account and accentuating those things that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are worth talking about. He can pinpoint events that were critical for the development of the church. Now, of course, all of Scripture is important to us, right? In fact, uh, we learn in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all of Scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You can't grow in the Christian life without the Word of God. It's all needful. But I wish I could have been there as Luke wrote these words in Acts 11. Because I have a feeling that he was kind of shaking his head and just thinking, wow, remember that when the gospel went to the Gentiles. He had to shake his head as he realized this was one of the pivotal moments in the life of the church. The fact is, is that we see in the book of Acts, as I mentioned, messes, problems. Uh, There were attitudes of arrogance that seeped into the church and toward others outside the church. It's human. You know, we, we naturally see other people that are not in our group as maybe inferior. That leads us to conflict. It leads us to holding prejudicial attitudes. The fact is, the scholars have pointed to this first century time where the Mediterranean region was thick with conflicts between Jew and Jew and Gentiles. 
the Gentiles were seen as dogs. Uh, Generally, they were to be avoided. So it's no small thing that for the first time, the church is showing initiative in reaching out to Gentiles. I've tried to make application about what this would look like in our society today, but trust me, it was a big thing for the church then. I mean, we we learned of the Samaritans in chapter 8, but they were partly Jewish, and we learned of the Ethiopian eunuch, but he was kind of showing initiative in reading Isaiah 53. We learned of Cornelius, but he took some initiative himself in seeking the gospel from from Peter. But here, the church took the first steps to take the message of the gospel to uncircumcised Greeks or Gentiles. It was historic. It was was God doing something really big. So let's take a look at this. Acts 11. Let's all stand. We'll read this passage I'd intended to get through verse 26 today. We'll make it about halfway. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, were, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. I suppose there are unexpected moments when you read through the Bible, when you read through a text themes that maybe you didn't expect arise out of a book. I have found a couple of those in going through the book of Acts. One has been the, through, by the way, many commentators as well, the ethnicity that is brought out in the passages and why that's important to the narrative and to what's going on with the gospel in the book of Acts. It just leaps off the page. Another is the leaders and how they failed at times. How they had good spots, they had some not-so-good spots. And Luke is honest about that. That's what I love about the Scripture. It doesn't whitewash things. It gives what really happened from a historical account. God gives that to us for our own edification. None of them were perfect in their Christian life. And even people that we model, that we set up as leaders and we follow, we understand they're fallible, right? I learned this lesson when I was, I believe I was a freshman at Moody when this happened in Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and I was given the task of picking up some men 
at O'Hare Airport, along with a buddy of mine, we took a van from Moody, and we were, these men were to speak at a conference at Moody. And if I told you their names, you would, you would recognize some of them. So as we were riding to the airport, my buddy and I were getting excited about who we were picking up, and we talked about some of the questions that we'd like to ask them. And there was one particular gentleman who I'd listened to a, a lot of his uh, tapes at that point, and some of you young people don't know what a cassette tape is, but trust me, we, we had those then. This was actually after eight tracks, believe it or not, or real or real, so again, I know that just went right over, you have no idea. So we were talking about this, and I was, I was excited about meeting this person, having a conversation, just kind of picking his brain. So we got to O'Hare Airport, these gentlemen got in the van, and there was nary a word spoken to my buddy and I on the entire trip back to Moody. They were just talking to one another the whole time. Now, it certainly was an unfair expectation to expect them to, you know, to entertain us. I got to admit, it was a deflating experience. You know, first you get your feelings hurt, you feel like they're not interested and whatever. And again, it was unfair. Who wants to sit there and have a in-depth conversation after getting off a plane anyway, right? Now, all of us have stories about how faith leaders have, have let us down, have disappointed us, whether those were real or perceived issues. And it was certainly the case in the book of Acts. Time and time again, we, we see times like this. And we see a very real problem here in verse 19. You can underline it. Our text says, speaking to no one except the Jews. We have seen this rear its head at other times. The Jews thought little of the Gentiles. The Gentiles were born of the wrong race. If we were to read it in our context, it would say, speaking to only white people. The reason I think Luke gives us detailed accounts of the ethnicity of what's going on here, like he did at Pentecost, like he did when we read about the people, a group of people who came to him, he named them, they were Sumerians, and Samaritans, Judeans had a problem with, very prejudiced, they were half-breeds, according to Judeans. We talked about a eunuch, or Luke did, and he mentioned where he was from, Ethiopia, talked about Cornelius dealing with Gentiles. These people were crossing ethnic boundaries in their relationship with the gospel. The fact is, is that humans create the boundaries. And there are all kinds of boundaries besides just racial. But that's what the text is dealing with. The gospel tears those down. It tears all those boundaries down. And it brings people together in the body of Christ. That's one of the beautiful things or should be one of the most beautiful things about the church. So God paved the way under the new covenant for everyone, Jew and Gentile, to have a relationship with him through Christ. One does not have to now come under the new covenant. One does not have to come through the corridor of Judaism. So when Jewish Christians were fleeing Jerusalem because of the persecution that was heating up after the uh, execution of Stephen. Our text says they basically naturally reverted 
to their normal relationship patterns. They just related to other Jews. I mean, it's easier that way. Just stay with our own kind. But the gospel does not call us to be comfortable. Peter opted for comfortable in Galatians 2. This is after this story. Fell into that comfortable way, fleshly pattern. And then Paul confronted him for how rude he was to the Gentiles. Got taken to task for it. Now there's a geographic northern trajectory as the Jewish Christians dispersed from Jerusalem during this intense persecution. You can look at the map here and see the, the parts that are mentioned uh, along this northern Palestinian territory, which included the cities of Tyre and Sidon. Some went to Cyprus, which is the large island there in the middle, uh, lying off the coast of Asia Minor and Syria. And then some went to Antioch of Syria, located about 15 miles in from the coast. So these people traveled a long distance north, but their hearts stayed south in Jerusalem, the epicenter of Judaism. And in spite of the, of the directions given by God that Gentiles are now welcome, many of these Christians, Jewish Christians, still clung to their old Jewish narrowness and confined their missionary efforts to just Jews. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But the text is explicit. That's all who they wanted to talk to. Nothing wrong with talking to people of your own kind. It's not to say that every one of them was racist. But every one of them, and us as well, we have a choice to widen our circle of friends and relate to people not in our comfortable circle. And these Jewish Christians had a choice to widen their circle of friends and relate to Gentiles as well. Thankfully, some Jews understood the stakes and they were willing to deliberately expand their circle. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, who also preaching the Lord Jesus. Cyprus, as we talked about, was this island. And Cyrene was, if we look at this map, was in northern Africa, lower center part there. And then, so groups from Cyrene in northern Africa, and by the way, Cyrene was the same place that Simon, the man who carried the cross for Jesus, that's where he was from. And, and we see it also mentioned in Acts 2, uh, in Acts 2.10, that there were people from Cyrene during Pentecost. So you had a, a contingency of people from Cyrene and Cyprus come to Antioch, and they brought a different style of relating. Number one, their message was a little different. It says, notice they are preaching the Lord Jesus. See, now, I don't think it's reading too much in the text, but if those Jewish Christians were only speaking to Jews, then they're thinking like a Jew that the gospel is true, yes, but you have to come through Judaism. And whenever you add 
To the gospel, that's something different. If the gospel is added to with legalism or some denominational additives, it poisons the message. It's not Christ plus something. It's Christ alone. The message was not follow these Old Testament laws and believe in Jesus. I mean, the fact is you can go into any church and kind of get a clue as to what the culture is by what questions people ask you if you're new there. I mean, people kind of, they can size you up maybe politically or find out if you fit within the, the right lifestyle choices that that church chooses for everybody so you can be accepted. And those from Cyprus and Cyrene realized God was welcoming everyone to the gospel. And they're not going to allow any man-made boundaries or perspectives to get in the way. We are told that they spoke to the Hellenists. Now, technically, the word simply means to be immersed in Greek culture. So speak Greek, you act Greek, and you're immersed in the culture. And it's also can be synonymous with being a Gentile. Now, it came later to mean, refer to Jews who spoke Greek. However, in this context, it seems obvious, it refers to the root meaning of simply a Greek. In fact, if you have a New International Version or you have the New American Standard Bible, it actually is translated Greek, not Hellenist. The point is, those from Cyprus and Cyrene were not bound by Jewish thinking as they were taking Christ to the Gentiles. That makes far more sense when we learn more about Antioch, what kind of city it was. Uh, actually, there were 15 cities called Antioch in the ancient world. It's kind of like Springfield. You know there are 33 Springfields in the U.S.? All right? We're just one of them. This Antioch was in Syria, and it was the third largest city within the Roman Empire. Rome and Alexandria exceeded it. The population, according to most estimates, is somewhere around a half a million people. It was known for kind of its culture, immorality. Uh, just a few miles down the road was a major cult center after the Greek goddess Daphne. Antioch was to the Roman world kind of like New York City is to the U.S., its main street stretched for miles and was paved in marble. It was lined with, on both sides with marble colonnades. And it was the only city at the time that had street lights. It was a bustling city. It was a prime target for the gospel. And notice that you have a group that will speak only to Jews, and that implies they have a tainted gospel, rife with stipulations, before one is accepted by God. And then you have a gospel that seems to be a little bit more pure, given without any of these other contingencies. When the persecuted believers from Cyprus and Cyrene arrived in Antioch, they apparently didn't feel intimidated by the urban nature of the city. The word of God was on their lips, and it was clear the hand of God was on their lives and on their message, because we see this in verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You know, maybe, maybe it's just they were in the right lane. 
I think there's something about a church operating, having the kind of culture that I've referred to that's just filled with grace. You're, you're in the lane that God wants you in in terms of how you're relating to one another. You're, you're inclusive. Grace marks the, the, the church. There are other churches, they're not all bad, but it just has that, you know, that, that little legalism thrown in. You're not going to quite fit unless you follow the denominational rules and all. And not that it's bad. But there's something about having the freedom that comes from Christ alone and nothing else. There's something about the, the gospel that is preached with clarity and power. That God's favor is on that. It says the hand of the Lord was on him. God's an eternal spirit. He doesn't have a, a physical body. So when we try to relate to God, we do so using physical human terms. Luke is saying that the, the power of God was demonstrated by a great number of people believing the gospel, coming to Christ. And you take that in context, and it, you, you miss the major message of the story. The gospel is not demonstrated by a homogenous unity creating more Jewish monocultural churches God's blessing was demonstrated with the presentation of an inclusive gospel that cut across racial, ethnic, and religious lines. People no longer had to go to the temple to find God. God was finding them out on the streets. God was going to the Gentiles. See, when the church is deliberate in being inclusive, I think we're at our best. When the church is deliberate in cutting across racial, racial boundaries, I think we represent the heart of God. That's the story, one of the major stories of the book of Acts. It's a constant theme. And when the church stays in a, in a homogenous state, unwilling to take the gospel to people outside our comfort level, I think we fail to operate in the full privilege and power of God. I'm talking about the, the value of a gospel that is expansive and inclusive. Verse 22, report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Well, Jerusalem was kind of the mothership, right, of, of Christianity at the time in the first century. It was a church of the apostles that had an obvious link to Jesus. It was the home base of the apostles. It was where accountability and, and responsibility for the expansion and health of the church worldwide, it started there. We saw this in they're sending Peter and John to Philip's mission in Samaria or their inquiry of Peter about uh, his witness to Cornelius. And in verse, chapter 15, Peter and Barnabas reported to Jerusalem about the, the meeting that was going on there about Gentiles and Jews coming together. So they send Barnabas, Jerusalem does, to check things out in Antioch. And Barnabas was a perfect candidate. He was from Cyprus according to Acts 4.36. He was keenly familiar with Judaism because he was also a Levite. And he was a thoughtful and generous man. We read this about him in Acts 4.37, that he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He, he was a generous man. So he's bridging the gap between Jew and Gentile. And verse 23 says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. 
It's quite a saying to kind of get your mind around. He came and saw the grace of God. How do you see the grace of God? Somebody would look at your life and say, boy, I see the grace of God. Somebody look at this church. Boy, you can see the grace of God on those people. That's quite a, it's quite a statement to make. How can you see the grace of God? Well, certainly staying true to this context, Barnabas rejoiced in the favor of God being poured out unhindered by typical human boundaries. It was something supernatural. And the gospel had great impact as a result. He wasn't criticizing the undertaking. He rejoiced and encouraged the church Keep doing that. Remain steadfast and faithful. In other words, he wants the, this purpose to remain on their hearts and wants it to be fixed on things that matter. The gospel. Don't get sidetracked on secondary issues and concerns. It's not that you can't talk about those things. It's just that's not our reason for fellowshipping. There's going to be some diversity in this body. You got Jew and Gentile coming together. You better believe there's diversity. Keep your eye on the ball. Stay focused. I mean, I can imagine maybe some of the conversations in the church being like, hey, do we understand the implications of the gospel? Do we realize that this grace of God has no racial parameters? Are we walking out this gospel in daily life in deliberate inclusion of others? Are we involving ourselves in these sideshows with politics, theological minutia, which has a tendency to, you know, sap the momentum, you know, R4 and no more. It was not a, a church organization or system or programs that was being transported to Antioch. It was a message of God's grace that is expanding. Let me put it in. And today's, I mean, there's obvious race application. We could say it this way, too. God's grace applies to the homosexual. God's grace applies to the trans person. God's grace applies to people of a different political stripe. God's grace applies to the Muslim, to the atheist. God's grace even applies to the Cubs. That's taken about as far as I can take it. <laughs> I don't want to hear a word from you, all right? <laughs> Most of us can nod our heads at this. Most of us are in agreement. You know, we'll say, yeah, yeah. Grace, awesome. Unity, mm. But then when you start talking about the implications of that, this implies that we relate to people with grace and love and that we expand our relationships. That's when you're stepping on toes. Now, what I'm talking about is relating not in a condescending manner, but in a way that gives value and respect. So, you might be asking, Kevin, what do I do with this? I'm certainly not saying we're all racist. It's not the message. What I'm saying is we can all do something. 
We can all be expansive in our relationships. We can all practice inclusion. So here's a challenge for all of us, for every one of us. How about you engage this week another person outside your normal, comfortable circle? That's just it. Engage and show value to a person outside your normal, comfortable circle. Okay? See, I think because of the gospel, we have to be deliberate about this. Deliberate in our relationships to cross normal human boundaries. Again, could be a different religion. Might be a person of a, a different political persuasion. Might be a person of a, a different ethnic group or color. Might be even a different economic level, a homeless person. How about picking one of those guys up on the corner and say, hey, how about you and I, we, we go get a bite to eat? A normal conversation. You don't have to set them straight. You don't have to give your opinion. You don't have to make some point. Just affirm the person and show respect. Ask questions about their life, how they're doing. Listen, unless we adjust our relational patterns to fit the heart of the gospel, we're not taking seriously enough the Great Commission. Because when it was first expanding, this is how it was displayed. I've got some message for us. Because every society, no matter what culture we live in, are going to have these issues, right? One person, one conversation. I guarantee you, if you show respect and you show love, there'll be multiple conversations. Who turns down love and respect? I mean, seriously. You know what's going to happen? People learn that you truly care. People learn that they're not a project. All right, the gospel mandate, by the way, is not just, you know, about depositing information. It includes information, but that's not the whole gig. It's a call to demonstrate the expansive grace of God. And what seemed unnatural in sharing Christ when you started the relationship now becomes the most natural thing as people realize the love and care we have for them are genuine. And God certainly went out of his way in loving us, did he not? Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a simple application. You can take it, or you can leave it. But my question is, if you leave it, then what are you doing in terms of inclusion, in terms of an expansive grace of God? All of us are uncomfortable with some people. This morning, texted a Muslim student I know. Said, hey, how about lunch, you and me? We're on. I'm not there. I, I, never, I never look at relationships as my job to convert somebody. I never approach it like that. It's my job to love. And then as, as God blesses the relationship, and they get to know me, I get to know them, how can the gospel not come out? Because that's just a, that's, that's who I am. That's a part of what I think. It will, will eventually get there, but I'm not worried about it. I don't have this little track or, oh, shoot, you know, we only met twice, and I didn't give them the information. 
That doesn't wig me out at all. What I want them to know is that I love them. I care for them. We'll get to the gospel. Deliberate inclusion. Again, there are all kinds of comfortable circles that we cross over into. It's not just race. Can we do that this week? Let's pray.